We thank you for the Word of God. Where would we be without the Scriptures? We love them. Not because we're bibliolators, but because they teach us of the Lord Jesus and the wonder of the Gospel, the treasure of the Gospel. And it is a treasure. And we're so thankful that so many of us here have heard the Word and that you quickened us like Lazarus and you saved us and caused us to be born again by the wonderful miracle of, of new birth. Thank you for that. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. And we're so thankful for that. We, we discovered afresh that we were sinners born in sin and faced a crisis eternity without your intervention. And our good works were of no avail, for they're not good. And so we're thankful for the glorious gospel. And we worship you, Father. We stand amazed at thy wonder. Oh, how great thou art. Oh, thou creator, redeemer, sustainer. Thank you that you've made all things through your Son, even the Lord Jesus. Holy, 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 thrice holy God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we ask for your presence now in a very special way, that you'd hush our hearts as we look into thy glorious word and accomplish this hour your purpose, that uh, some here may come to know Jesus as their Savior. And the great number of us that know you would, would come to be, become the men and women, boys and girls, Lord, that you would desire us to be today and this week. If we're reminded, man doesn't live on bread alone, but out of every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Accomplish your purpose. Thank you, Lord, so much. Thank you for our veterans. We honor them. We pray for those in our civil authority in our country and ask that you would set the boundaries and give wisdom as they stand watch and wait in, in a dangerous, dangerous world, Lord. We're thankful for the freedoms that we have in this human experiment of democracy, and we're grateful for it. Thank you, Lord, so much. Thank you, Lord, for answered prayer this week. We thank you, Lord, for that in Cindy's life with her, her surgery and little Harper. We're thankful for Sue, and, and uh, after so long, Lord, giving her a job, Thank you for that so much, Lord. We love her and commit her to you. Her need of future housing beyond that. Teach her, Lord, to just keep her eyes fixed on you. Thank you. You've encouraged all of us through providing for her. We ask, Lord, that you bless the harvest offering, that we might enter each one of us, whether it's very little or very great, Lord, into the joy of giving. Reminded, Lord, that uh, where our heart is, our treasures, they're also and we want our treasure to be in you. Take the word and teach us now. Encourage us, strengthen us as we leave this place more determined to live for you and serve you and to be a blessing to all that we should meet. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, take, uh, take your, your handout. You should find that uh, in your, your bulletin. It's a little warm in here. Are you warm at all? It is. Uh, I, they won't let us adjust the thermostat. It's uh, in a cage, isn't it? But, <laughs> but uh, we're going to continue in our series of the Doctor's Gospel, chapter uh, 18. So take your Bible, look at Luke 18, verses 9 to 14. And uh, I've entitled uh, my message this morning, Too Good, uh, Too Good to be Saved. Too good to be saved. You know, often we hear the expression, too good to be true. Have you ever, ever had that experience? Too good to be true? Have you bought something? It was like, uh, 
Oh, wow, it's, oh, what's wrong with it? That's too good to be true. Only to live long enough to realize it is too good to be what? True, that's right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like, oh, I got the deal of the century. Probably not. You know? <laughs> Probably not. Too good to be true. Well, uh, there's a similar saying, and it goes like this. Too good to be saved. But... Uh, the contrast is that that's almost never heard, and yet it's embraced by millions and millions of people hoping that their good works, uh, I mean, they'll put it this way, if there is a God and if there is an afterlife, you know, then, uh, then if, when I die and then I have to stand before him, uh, then, the, or God or whoever, right, whatever they would refer to, and they're They'd say, well, they're going to weigh my works and my, uh, my bad things I've done and my good works I've done, and uh, it's going to tip in my favor, and God will let me into heaven. And uh, anyway, I mean, uh, too good to be saved. I mean, I don't know that I really need to be saved because uh, if there is a salvation and Jesus and all this business, because I'm pretty good anyways. And I don't know that I, you know, I'm, I'm not a criminal. I'm, I'm better than my neighbor over there. And after all, I gave to the Penn State kids' cancer thing yesterday when they at the, I put a dollar in. And, you know, I'm too good to be saved. Well, we'll look at that. That's almost heard and uh, uh, hoping. The reality is, is that most people, most people think so well of themselves that they don't need to be saved. You know, when, that's, the, that's the problem, you know. When we talk about Jesus offers salvation, uh, men and women in their natural lost condition go like, well, I'm not sure I need to be saved. Until people know that they're, they're dead in their sins and that they're drowning, they never call for help, right? We don't call for help. I'm doing okay. This is pretty good. You know, I don't, uh, I, I don't know. That's the place of the law, you know. That's, it's Galatians, right? The law is a tutor. That brings me to Christ. What's that? When I began to look at the law, and I weigh that, and God begins to open my heart, and the work of the Spirit of God provides conviction, I realize, wait a minute. I, 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 I'm not so good, and I am in deep trouble, and uh, I need to be saved. Wow, Charles Spurgeon speaking and teaching on this in a sermon, and I borrowed it for my title, not done that before, but it, his sermon title was Too Good to Be Saved. We're going to discover a man in our text in this parable that thought like most people think that know not Christ in this world, that he was okay, I'm okay, you're okay, that he was too good to be saved, that he didn't need to be saved. And that's the path to hell. Isn't that an, an ingenious system? That it, Think if you were Satan, the great deceiver. What a great uh, ideological way of, of uh, leading people by the hordes to a crisis eternity. Well, I, I, I guess I'm okay. I'm pretty good. I didn't kill anybody. Oh, it's the law that shows us that we're all born in sin and lawbreakers and the wages of sin is death. When you work and you get paid, it's not a favor when your boss pays you. Here's a favor, here's your paycheck. No, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, no, no. I earned that. I earned that. And that's what God is saying there in, in Romans 3.23. For the wages that you just deserve, that's what you deserve, that's what I deserve, the wages of sin 
his death. You know that 150,000 people die on an average every single day in this world? We don't live in the land of the living. We live in the land of the dying. And death shall shepherd them. One of the psalmists puts it that way. The wages of sin is death. And it's a reminder, isn't it? Is it not? It's a reminder of the faithfulness of God's word there in the garden in Genesis 3. In the day that you eat of that tree, you will die. And in the Hebrew, you will die indeed. Underline it three times. Remember in school, you underlined it. This is probably going to be on the exam. Underline it. You will die indeed. And today, 150,000 people die every single day as a testimony of the faithfulness of God. And they may live to be 100 or 110 or 15 or something, you know, but uh, that's it. And that's all. You ever look through the obituaries and see some days there's just a few. You're like, wow, people are hanging on. And then the next day it's like three pages. You're like, whoa. <laughs> like, I keep turning a page. Here's another page. And it's just in the Harrisburg area. The wages of sin is death. It's a prey to death. Well, the core issue then, the core on your sheet, is pride. Pride. Pride is what's the great sin of the devil, right? The great sin. In, in Isaiah 14, you look it up later, 12 through 15, uh, Satan, Lucifer, the, uh, one of the angels, by God's uh, sovereign pleasure, and ordinance, he fell. Uh, he fell because of his pride. He wanted to be God. He wanted to be like God. I will. And, uh, and that's true in our life. Uh, it, it is pride is the root of all of our sin. We think too highly of ourselves. Now, I don't say that you ought to walk around and say, well, I'm junk. Don't do that. Well, you're not God. You're not God. You're God-like, finite, made in God's image wonderful, fearfully, and wonderfully made. You know, oftentimes in my quiet time reflection, I'll, I'll think about the, uh, the anthropological, uh, uh, the body and, and the, the present, presentation of God. I mean, isn't it amazing, our bodies? And it shouts glory to God. I mean, uh, five digitals in each hand, skin that's pulled over it, fingerprints that are my own. Even, aren't you glad there are nails there? Some of you have bit your nails up, but nails there, you whack yourself with a hammer, aren't you glad there's like something there? I've done that enough times. And hair and the uh, symmetric of the body and the arm, and, and your eye, I often laugh at it. Imagine how God designed the arm. It comes right to the mouth. Isn't that great? Imagine if it was a little short. Like, oh, I'd like to eat that pizza, but I can't quite get it in. It's just amazing. All the, and then the eyes. You actually see everything, you're upside down, my brain flips it over, and Mark has talked about the teeth and the, uh, the dental and the amazing arrangement of the bones and the structure and the antagonistic muscle system and, and all of it, the digestive tract, the neurological tract, the, how about the, uh, you know, the flight or fight with the hormones and the endocrine system that's in here. It's amazing. Amazing, and we talk about the ears, and they're funneled forward. What an evolutionary wonder that is! Funneled forward on each side, you know, three little bones vibrating. I can't quite hear like I used to hear. You know that I got a doctor's thing on that. So Faith, when she calls me, like I really didn't hear you. You know, like here's my doctor's thing. You know, <laughs> that works out good. Amazing how God made us, and and yet man walks around, women walk around in their rebellion, in their pride, thinking too highly of themselves. What God? What God? And everything in creation, from their body out, screams made by God. The glory of a morning like this, 
the beautiful harvest colors. God sets all the boundaries of life. The sun is 93 million miles away. It's just the right distance for light and heat. The atmosphere that blankets the earth, God made that. The great oceans are the great thermostats where we'd have dramatic changes in temperature. The mountains and the beauty and the animal life and the wonder and birds that fly. And this is our Father's world. It's glorious. Man walks around in his wind walk around in the rebellion from God. You go like, what God? I don't know God. I'm God. I'm going to do what I want to do. And, 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 and spits forth pride, rebellion in their hearts and lives. And that's where we all begin, every one of us. Now, you look pretty good today. But you began at that point until God's reached you and saved you. And Paul says, apprehended you. God came after you. Paul wasn't looking for God. God found him, the apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9, and he did the same thing, and we all have a unique story. Well, we think too highly of ourselves. We think that we are to, we, ourselves to be good. After all, we're good people, right? We're good people. We're not like, okay? The problem is, the problem is we compare ourselves with the wrong measure. The wrong measures. Like maybe, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of an analogy. It would be trash, comparing itself with trash. That's not really fair because we are made in God's image, fearfully and wonderfully made and wonderful, really, and we'll live forever. So we're not trash, we're not young, but we're comparing ourselves with, like, uh, with other uh, broken down things. So like, well, I'm better than that. Maybe it's a junkyard with the cars that we just saw at the body shop this week with Jonathan's car. A lot of cars that played bumper car. They're like, oh, look at that. You know, like, well, I'm better than that car, you know, like this. And that's how we do that. And that's what man in his rebellion does that. And men and women thinking, well, somehow we're good. Well, the problem is it's the wrong measure. God in his holiness is the standard, not other people. And Jesus warns us in a parable about the deadly danger of pride. It's deadly. Deadly will lead to a Christless eternity. It's deadly. It's, uh, we're talking about that which is fatal in an eternity sense. And he does so by telling of two men and two prayers and two destinies in a parable that's very well known and probably most of you know it. The Lord has been teaching and the disciples to persist in prayer. Don't you love that? I love that study we did a couple weeks ago with the widow and the unjust judge. And she just kept coming and coming and coming to wear him down, to get justice. And it's a, it's, it was a, a lesson in, in, in contrast from the lesser to the greater. How much more will God hear our prayers? So keep knocking, keep knocking, keep knocking, keep knocking. God is up to something. So his delay is not denial. Remember that. Keep praying. Well, in, in verses eight, 18 through 1 to 8, but let's remember in our prayer life that not all prayers are created equal. We love that in the Constitution or in the Declaration of Independence. Uh, all men are created equal. That doesn't mean we have equal abilities. I mean, faith does things far better than I could ever do. I'm not equal in that. But equal before the law is the idea. Equal in before God's standing is the idea. Equal in opportunity, I suppose. But, uh, so, but not all prayers are equal. Well, three parts of a story by Jesus. It's a parable. Warning us not to do, think too highly of yourself. Not to do so. For the doorway to heaven is low. It's low. And only the humble can enter. The doorway to heaven is low. Zach, do you ever have to duck going through any doorways? <laughs> you're, you're six what? Six, eight? Six, seven. 
I would have died to been that when I was in high school. <laughs> it must be tough getting clothes, though, right? Yeah. I don't want to embarrass you, but, you know. But uh, the, the, the way to heaven is low. You've got to duck, like Zach. He has to duck to get in, in and out some doorway. I remember Kyle Brady's in our house. Like, you duck to get under the... And he's probably, I don't know how many times you'd whack your head if you were tall. Like that, you know, you're, you're still normal, though. You didn't hit it too much. But the way to heaven is low. You can see it. Blessed are the poor in spirit. They're bankrupt in heart. Nothing in my hand I bring. Only to thy cross I cling. Let's look at the text. Look at uh, Luke 18. Let's just read the, this, uh, this account, verse 9 uh, to verse 14. And he, that's Jesus, also told this parable to some. Notice who he's speaking to. The, the, some are, are Pharisees and other unbelievers. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And here is the parable. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. I fast uh, twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus is saying, this man went down to his house justified declared just, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Well, there are three parts of this story that Jesus is warning us, and we must firmly get this. Firmly get this, so like here's your message. Now here's, here's one thing that you need to do, uh, and we're going to emphasize this more and more as the weeks go on. Once you're fed, then you're responsible to take that out and tell others. Hey, let me tell you, tell you in, in, in essence what I heard this week uh, at church or from my pastor or whoever, and tell at least one other person. So it means that you must understand it. You must not be able to understand it backwards and forwards. Let me tell you, there are two men and two prayers and two destinies. Can you get that? Two men, two prayers, two destinies. Really? Who said? Jesus said this. And then you give the sense of what you're going to hear now. And let's pass it on. I've been reminded, I was reading some of John Piper recently, and Piper's saying, I needed to hear it because I'm so involved with teaching and explaining and defending, you know, the teaching and the gospel and all that. He said, oh, wait a minute, wait. There is a sense where the gospel just needs to be told. Just tell it, you know, just proclaim it. Now, some of you are for the Steelers. How many are Steelers fans here right here? Raise your hand if you're proud. What? I thought there were more. Oh, there's a late one. Not sure, Jim? <laughs> okay, all right. You know, you, you guys always are announcing another, oh, yeah, we won another Super Bowl. Yeah, we're, you know, Steelers are great. Yeah, you're just announcing. You're not defending it. I'm just telling it, right? And there's a sense, and that, that's good news uh, for you. But uh, the good news of the gospel is gloriously great. And it just needs to be announced. Just be announced. Hey, listen, did you know that Jesus died? 
died for sin, was buried, and rose the third day just to express that. And God will use the broadcasting of the gospel. You don't have to begin to teach all the nuances. Of it. Don't have to defend it. There, this. Just, just tell it. Tell it. And God will use that through the Spirit of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the Word of God. And, and to draw them. And what, what's this news? I've never heard of this. And then uh, we'll draw them to Christ. So we want to do that. Uh, this week, that's your assignment. Three parts of a story Jesus warning us not to think too highly of ourselves. Well, in verses 9 and 10, two very different men are contrasted. And we just read, one was a tax collector. Don't, do not think IRS. Some of you are thinking, like, I hope I don't get one of those letters in my, in my mailbox. Greg's not here. Greg and Megan had a wedding up, uh, up in uh, the Poconos this weekend. Uh, you think, well, maybe, maybe it's an IRS letter. I better call it. No, don't think that. It was a completely different world. Jesus uh, uses this. It's a huge surprise. Why is it a huge surprise? Number one, generally, tax collectors are not found anywhere near the temple. That is a huge surprise. And certainly, they're not there, you know, for, to go to a weekly prayer meeting. Okay? You got it? They're not. I mean, to say a publican, a tax collector's a publican. That's not republican. It's publican. And the tax collector's a praying publican is an oxymoron. I mean, they were worldly, worldly, worldly in wealth and ways and all of that. They were not religious. They didn't practice Judaism. They were seen as traitors. They were seen as friends of uh, the Roman government. They were occupiers of Palestine at this time. And they would extort from their fellow Jews. They would extort and twist them and get all kinds of money. And you see, their incentive was they had to turn in so much if they had that, that district for taxes. And the difference was their great commission. And the more they could squeeze their fellow Jews, the greater money they got. So they were hated, hated by the Jews. And here he is at the temple. And he's praying. Wow. And that day they were considered the scum of the earth. I have an understanding. Similar today to the way we might think of, uh, of drug pushers or pimps and how they prey on the down and out in the cities. And in, in that, uh, that's how people viewed tax collectors. We're going to notice here in a few weeks, Zacchaeus there, he's going to climb a sycamore tree. We teach our kids that. and say, He climbs, he's going to go to your house for dinner. He, that little man, was a wealthy little guy through extortion in Jericho, and he's one of them. These people were wealthy. They flaunted their wealth. They lived in the biggest houses. They were seen as, as just a scum of the earth. They were greedy, dishonest. They preyed on society, that's P-R-E, <laughs> and, and so on. So, so to be sure, this man is a crooked, great sinner, and he knew it. He knew it. We don't want to romanticize it at all. Sometimes you go, oh, isn't it great, the tax collectors? He was scum. He was really the dregs, if you will. Okay, get the picture here. We don't want to romanticize it too much. Oh, isn't it wonderful? No. I mean, it's... A, He's there because God is beginning to draw him. Do you know that no one comes to Christ unless God draws them? Jesus said that. He's, the very fact that he's sort of coming around the edges of where God is, temple, and he's praying, it's evidence that God is beginning to open the heart of this very worldly man. And it's a, it's, it's a, he, he was beginning to realize he's a great sinner, 
He's a crook. He knew it. God's working in his life. So what do we often say? You, you know, when you share the gospel, there's some in our family I've been sharing the gospel with, and uh, I don't know if they're saved yet, but they're, and we'll say, faith. I don't think they're far from the kingdom. You know, when God begins to humble a man or woman or a teenager, and they begin to consider their lostness, and that uh, God, the wrath of God hangs over them, according to Ephesians 2, and they begin to draw near, and they begin to look at the cross and, and Jesus, and he, the Lamb of God, he became sin. What's that mean? Substitute. And, and they start coming and near the cross. You go like, not far from the kingdom. And uh, we all ought to have people like that. As we broadcast and share and let the love of Jesus radiate from us, and that God strategically places us where he is. It's not an accident. God didn't say, well, I didn't know they were going to live there. I didn't know you were going to be alive yet. I thought you were going to be you know, hit by the bus three years ago. No, God is working and orchestrating. And get your eyes up and see the bigger thing. Jesus is building his church the glorious saints of God that will live with him forever. And he's calling them out. And the last one that is saved, the last one will be the sound of the trumpet and the return of Jesus and the beginning of the uh, cataclysmic ending of all things as we know it. Well, that's the tax collector. The other man is a Pharisee. Wow, by contrast, he represented in that day everything that was right and good. I mean, they, they had the reputation of being the utter separatists, religious. Such men had the best reputation. I mean, they were, they were religiously cut above the rest. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, it's only natural to see him gathering at a time for prayer. Oh, yeah, there's nothing new about that. We would we'd expect to see that when we were... In, in, when we're in Qatar and we see the, the prayer, the crying out five times during the day, and, and they'll, they'll, they'll find their little rug at the mall or in the office or somewhere, and to Allah, to Allah, and then we go like, well, yeah, that's nothing unusual. There they are with that, that uh, the garb on and all that. And, and these had the, the Pharisee, uh, Pharisee garb on, and it's nothing unusual to see them going to the temple. Oh, he's praying, oh, there's nothing unusual about that. Uh, and so on. I mean, after all, good men, good men, quote, pray, and that's what he's doing. Even as we begin to hear his prayer, and we just read that, our respect for him rises somewhat. I mean, uh, he has few vices, many virtues. He's giving thanks to God. He said he didn't steal. He was faithful to his wife. He was an adulteress. So we go like, okay, all right, he does seem to be a, a, a good man in, in, in the Lord's description of him. Uh, and, and so on. Well, the two very different men are contrasted in verses 9 and, and 10. Uh, we see in verse 11 through 13, there are two very different prayers. Jesus wants you and I to know that the effectiveness of our prayers depends in part on how we pray. Let's think, what does that mean? Well, in verse 11, let's reread that. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed... Thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. And he gives, uh, he gives uh, the reason why I fast twice a week. I give tithes. That's a 10% of all that he, he has income. I give that. And so, well, what, what about the Pharisee? What can we say? The Pharisee's prayer is self-righteous and full of himself, isn't it? I mean, in two short sentences, just two, he, he uh, succeeds in mentioning himself five times. 
you know, me, myself, and I. You ever see that? You know, <laughs> you, you know, joy, you ever hear that little acronym, joy? We taught our kids that. It ought to be that way. Jesus, others, and then you. J-O-Y, Jesus, other. This guy was I. I, 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 I. Notice there are five eyes. Five eyes. If you look back at that Isaiah 14 passage, when we talk about the pride of Lucifer, he also had five. I will, I will, I will. Interesting. Little, little parallel there. Uh, same numbers. He, he attempted to keep the law. He fasted. Let me tell you that the law only prescribed fasting one day a year. You know that? What day was that? You know? What was the day, one day a year when they had to uh, national fast? Yom Kippur, that's right. Leviticus 16, on the Day of Atonement, they called for a national fast, one day a year. This Pharisee, according to Jesus, fasted Monday and Thursday, twice a week, multiplied times. I mean, he was way ahead in his religion, practice of religion, or religiosity, if you will, of what was required. He went way over, twice a week, Monday and Thursday. He practiced fasting as was common in that day among the Pharisees. He gave his tithes. He didn't steal. He was better than most men. Yet, for all his devotion, this Pharisee was unrighteous and lost in God's sight. I mean, this is shocking to the disciples hearing that. And later in another place, they're like, when the Lord makes a statement along, they're like, well, who in the world then can be saved? They still didn't quite get it. If these guys who paraded around doing all this religious work and all of that uh, are still lost and on their way to hell, the disciples are like, there's not any hope for anybody. <laughs> you, you, can, you can feel their sense of reasoning in this in sense of, over, uh, of shock. None of his good works, one man writes, improved his standing before God because, here it is, God is never impressed with merely external religion. Never, 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 never impressed. Never impressed. What do you think that in, in your life you could do that God would say, wow, that really impresses me. That really impresses me. There's one uh, verse I read this week that I love it so much. Uh, in Daniel 9, remember when Daniel prayed there? He's in, he's, uh, in captivity in Babylon, and he prayed, uh, trying to understand the 70 years captivity that Jeremiah had said would be 70 years. He's trying to understand why it's still going on. And Daniel prays, and, and the angel uh, Gabriel comes to him. Finally, it's delayed in coming. And he makes that statement. He says, oh, Daniel. He says, Dan, thou art highly thought of in heaven. Oh, I underline that. And I go, oh, there's something's getting through. Look at that. There is a sense where he was known in glory. There is a sense, Lord, where if we love you with all our heart, our soul, and our strength, that somehow, you know, it's just not, it's not missed. God sees it and God knows it. And, and maybe, maybe in Daniel's case, God is saying, the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus says, look at Daniel down there in Babylon. What a godly man in a pagan culture and society and all that. But he loves me and he serves me and he's by my grace alone. Wow. Maybe that's what it means. Maybe that's what it means there. There is nothing that we could do that would impress God by way of working our way to heaven. That's what I mean by external religion. It's a, it's a matter of the heart. It's the heart. It's the heart. 
We are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, and our strength, and our neighbors ourselves. I remember uh, in the midst of raising our children, um, I was very, very much focused on this, uh, that it was a heart. Then I made it so it wasn't simply obeying mom and dad, though that's easy at that age, right? What's God's will for you? Obey your mom and dad. We all, all parents memorize that in Ephesians 6, right? Obey your mom. Next to John 3, 6, obey your mom and dad. <laughs> but the key thing there was we, wanted, we always push for heart obedience because God knows it's a heart from the heart out. Heart out. I remember one time, uh, I can't remember which one, probably a good idea. I can't because I made them, I made them uh, uh, they kept standing up at dinner time. Stand, sit down, sit down, sit down and eat. You're going to choke. Us. Sit down. And I, I can't remember which one. But they sat down and they looked at me. I think it was a he. said, Dad, I'm standing on the inside. <laughs> and I go like, whoa, there's a sermon there. That's the rebellion of all our hearts, isn't it? I'm standing on the inside. It's a matter of the heart. God doesn't give a hoot about any of this bending, bowing, this and that, and all this, uh, all that nonsense that easily impresses uh, men and women. In, in, in It's the heart. God wants the heart. Heart. That 4-2-3 principle, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. What's the great commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Does the rest of the stuff... Just, it isn't important. Uh, pride was, and number three, pride was the reason his prayer was wrong. One, uh, one tells that this Pharisee, he glances at God when he begins the prayer, but he contemplates himself as he gives a litany of all these wonderful things that he's doing. He thought he was superior to all others. He was much too conceited to admit that he was a sinner. Much too conceited. And we do the same thing, you know, when we, we think of ourselves better than we, even, even as a Christian, when pride goes before a fall, I go, Lord, you're really changing me. I'm really coming along. And isn't that great? Get ready. We're hanging on by a thread. It's called the grace of God. And we pray for that. Remember the Lord's Prayer. And lead me, I pray this almost every day, Lord, lead me not into temptation. Why? Because I'm weak, puny, vulnerable, frail, and I could easily cross the line just this, this quickly. And I'm like, wow, I'm strong. Lord, I don't, I, like Peter, I, I, I can take it from here. Oh, no. <laughs> It'd be a disaster waiting to happen, right? And so we do the same thing. Lord, I, you're, wow, it's all of grace from beginning to end. And this Pharisee expected to be saved via his good works by refusing to confess the guilt of his sin and ask for atonement he showed that he knew little about salvation. He thought God would accept him on his own merits, and he never will. And that's the word that has to be given out, God's people. If we don't tell folks, you know, uh, it's not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy he saves us. There's not a thing you can do. Nothing. We're damaged goods, rebels at heart. And we produce children and grandchildren that are the same. And we received it from our parents. We all have the same condition. Lost. All the world lost. Read Romans 3. He ends that section. The whole world is under judgment and lost because of sin. And this Pharisee thought he was a good man and God was going to let him in. Never would happen. Never, never. How shocking 
It must be. I try to imagine this sometimes with folks that don't ever come to grips with the good news of the gospel that salvation is a gift and they die and they do. It's appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment, Hebrews. And they're standing before the Lord and, and why, why should I allow you into my heaven? And they hear with great horror that God will not accept anything that they could have done, that the work was paid for in full, and it was a gift, and they never received Jesus as Savior. And I wonder how many folks are in church today. They teach Sunday school, they are standing in the pulpit, they are deacons and elders and ushers and workers, and, and don't come to grips with the reality that salvation is a gift of God that must be received. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, it's a gift is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Yeah. <laughs> gifts, you just empty hands, nothing in it, nothing in my hand, and I receive the Lord Jesus. His death as my substitution. I should have died, he should have lived. My sin to his cross, his righteousness given to me. That's what makes me just. And so I go, and the Father says, why should I let you tarry in my heaven? Because of Jesus. I am in Christ. I am hidden in him. His blood atoned all of my sin. That's the only answer. The only answer. And, and, and humility is required to, to confess and to agree with God that I'm a sinner lost and under judgment. Well, the tax collector reveals an entirely different way to pray, does he not? His way is the way to save our souls. Whereas the Pharisee was counting on his good works, the tax collector begged for mercy. And there are three parts to his prayer. God, he knew him to be great and holy, as seen in his posture. How do we see that? He's standing at a distance. He's not even getting close. I mean, that's probably new territory for him to come there. I often think of that when and we, and we try and make worship at Grace informal, friendly, warm, and invite the Spirit of God to join us. And, and then we, we hope to invite folks, even unsafe folks, to come in. But the first time they come, they're always like, well, not really sure, and these people are singing. And it can be very convicting to folks that don't know Jesus. And come. But they're coming close. But they're sort of like, I want to stay back and kind of watch this, see if they're okay, you know. He's at a distance. He's feeling unworthy, unholy. He is not looking up. And that day they looked up to heaven, their eyes open. We bow our eyes and pray like this. But they opened with their eyes to heaven and they would pray like that. He is not even looking up. God is so great and so holy, he puts his head down. He wouldn't even look up. I mean, um, the Pharisee, all he did was look at himself, Right? Uh, the uh, tax collector, all he did is look down. He was humble. He was contrite. He knew he was in the presence of God. He kept his distance. He had a right and proper fear of the holiness of God. You know, I see that in our country, isn't it? And you, you see it as well. There is the loss of the fear of God in this country. You know, people just say, I just go do anything I want. You know, I just, oh, really? You have no fear of God? And Christians will, will just say, we have the uh, incredible capacity to justify the most awful of things. Have you no fear of God? Fear of God is so important. It's the beginning of knowledge, Proverbs chapter 1. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Uh, he had a fear of God. That's the first part of his prayer, God. The second part is him. He's a sinner. And the text calls him in verse 13, you can underline it, because a lot of the translations didn't carry it. Um, 
when, when he says, God be merciful to me, it's the definite article in the Greek. He, he calls himself the sinner. I think that's important. Not just a sinner. He's the sinner. It sounds like Paul's words uh, in the, uh, the epistles where he said, I'm the greatest of sinners. Remember that? And if God has saved me, he's able to save the uttermost. He calls himself, God be merciful to me, the sinner. And then the third part of his prayer is the in-between. He calls for God's mercy. Actually, it's a particular word that means the mercy seat. And uh, if you have little understanding about uh, the furniture in the tabernacle and then the temple, it might be a little confusing for you. I don't want to take a lot of time on that. But he's actually saying, Lord, be mercy seated unto me, the sinner, looking down when he prays it. Well, what does that mean? The the mercy seat, uh, you remember, was the... uh, was a box. Uh, underneath the mercy seat was the lid. And underneath it was the box, uh, the ark, ark, and it carried uh, in that the law, the tablets of the law that Moses received. That was the law. And, uh, and then you had the, the uh, golden cover, and then, uh, then you had the cherubim, and, uh, and God said that uh, he would dwell at that point, between the cherubim, that would be the, the place in the world where God would dwell. He would meet with his people on Yom Kippur one day a year. The high priest would come in once in the killing of a bull for his own sin. And he would sprinkle that blood on this, this golden cover lid over the law, the cherubim, in the presence of God. So the blood would come between uh, the law and the holiness of God's presence. It would come between that, mercy seated. And uh, then he would come in a second time on that Yom Kippur. You can check this out in Leviticus 16. For the sins of the nation, he would kill a goat and go in with the blood. And uh, he would sprinkle on that day for the sins of the nation. Just that one day. You just didn't come in any time you want. He had already lost some sons that thought that they could be cavalier in God's instruction. And God struck them dead one day a year. He went in there, and for the sins of the nation, the blood covered over the law that was broken, and therefore uh, they were, there was justification. So what happened was, I, I meant to say, before the goat was killed, what the high priest would do, he would lay his hands, symbolically representing the sins of the nation, would be laid on the head of that goat. They would be symbolically transferred to the goat as a substitute, and since he was now legally, symbolically sin. Death would be required instantly, and the shedding of blood. And we know that as we remember the Lord's Supper. And so he's saying here, be mercy seated unto me. In other words, I've broken the law, the mercy seat over, and I need the blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin uh, before you, the in-between. He deserved to die for his sin but the blood would come between, and, uh, and I have some 50-cent uh, words here, but I want to just describe them to you because they're theological words that describe the atoning sacrifice uh, of the blood that he's a- actually asking for. The blood, the expiating, propitiating sacrifice that takes away the sinner's guilt and turns away the wrath of God. Now, two, two things the sacrificial blood accomplished. And they're expressed in these two technical words, expiation, 
50-cent word. We often don't use words like this in preaching or propitiation. Let me just say expiation simply refers to the covering of one's sin. Covering from our side, it is the covering of the guilt of our sin, and so it's removed. You can check out Psalm 32.1 in that penitential psalm when David prays. He says uh, he asked that his sin would be covered. Remember that? Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. That means to be expiated. That means when the blood of Christ was shed, that our sins are covered. The guilt, you say, well, it's not guilty feelings we live in that day. No, not that. Legal, real guilt. We have lawbreakers and broken the law of God, and it's been covered and the guilt removed because of the blood that was shed. That's expiation. That's a 50 cent. The other side is from God's point of view. Propitiation. It refers to the turning away of wrath in respect to God. In other words, God was satisfied. He's satisfied. He's propitiated. Satisfied with, the, with that death as the payment for sin. And that's all that's bound up in this word of uh, Lord Jesus. He, uh, God, be merciful, be mercy seated to me, the sinner. Look at the humility in that. Wow. It reminds us, doesn't it, on Passover evening there in Egypt, and the words that uh, often are said each month in many churches among real believers, you know, and God said there in Egypt, uh, when you slay the lamb and you apply the blood on the lintel and, and the doorway, and when I see the blood, the death, I will pass over. Isn't that beautiful? So beautiful. That's why we sing there's power in the blood. Oh, the blood, the blood. Oh, sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. That's expiation. And God is satisfied. That's propitiate. He is satisfied. Justice has been meted out in his Son. And those technical terms have a ton of theology, but are a blessed uh, riches of our salvation that we should come to grips with. First comes God. Notice number two. First comes God, the sinner. Uh, uh, first comes God. Last comes the sinner who deserves to die for his sins, but in between comes the blood. And that's the story. Isn't it glorious? Well, two very different prayers. One filled with pride, one with contrition. One haughty and arrogant and self, and the other couldn't be more lowly. The way to, the, to eternal life is low. Bankruptcy. Bankrupt in spirit. I love the church. I love the real church. You know, there are a lot of clubs, and a lot of people think of the church as just another social club or something. A lot of places probably are like that. But I love the church because in, in distinction to some of these uh, uh, high society clubs, you know, you have to have a pedigree, have to have a title, have to have certain education, have to have so much wealth. We'll look at your Dun and Bradstreet, see if you're one of us, you know, to let you in. But the church is so great. It's just like, how do you get into the church? Well, you have to, first of all, announce that you're a sinner. Well, all 
right. You're among others. Great. And that you've been wonderfully redeemed. You, you once were blind, but uh, now you see, and you give glory to Right. Brother or sister, you're welcome. It's the church of all nationalities and races and, and people and ethnic groups and all of that going to be represented in the church. I love that. So welcome. Only we can really throw out the welcome wagon rug, right? Have you ever had welcome wagon move into an area? When you guys have welcome wagon, I hope they were helpful. <laughs> well, you have welcome wagon, right? A church is welcome. You are here. I love that so much. We come confessing what scoundrels and worthless people we really are until God found us and saved us. No room for pride. Well, two very different destinies, and he closes with this in verse 14. Jesus tells that only one of the two was saved, was, was justified, and that means to be declared righteous. The tax collector found forgiveness and salvation and was now headed on the road to heaven. That's what the text says in, in verse 14. He went home. He went to his house. I tell you, Jesus said, this man... The tax collector went down to his house justified. That is, he's been declared righteous because of the imputed righteousness, the gift of righteousness that Paul talks about. Rather than the other, that's the Pharisee, he was not justified. He was lost. He went home, and uh, he went on home lost and on his way to hell. And we are invited to humble ourselves. Therefore, and the Lord ends it so we don't miss it. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Humble yourself. Well, the tax collector went to his house justified. He went home. He went home. That's what heaven is, you know. That's, this, is not, this is not home. I, I often say that at funerals to people. You know, we're we are not home yet. You know, I know we get settled in pretty good, and things are pretty good in this culture, in this country, in this place. Well, we are not home. Isn't home such a wonderful word? Have you ever traveled and been away a long time? You go, like, I just, just want to go home. Some of you served in the military. You raised your hand. We appreciate that. And you, away a long time. A long time. I remember I was a student in, in a long time ago in Brazil. And first time I was away for months upon months and months. And I just, uh, there are certain bouts. I love going away and seeing and, and, and the experience and all that. But there were some, uh, some times when I go, like, Oh, I just want to go home. I just, I just like to be home. It's such a wonderful... Heaven is home. Absent from the body, present with the Lord, at home with the Lord. Home. Mikasa sukasa, Jesus says. My home is your home. Isn't that great? It's only because of the gift of Jesus Christ and salvation. Matthew 5, 3, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Nothing in my hand I bring, only to the cross of Christ do I cling. And I ask the question, do you know how bad you really are? And how much? Do you know how bad you really are by birth? And how much you need God's mercy? Sinners cannot be saved by what sinners do. Sinners can be saved only by what God has done in Jesus Christ. That's it. That's all. Lessons for our life, I think, I, I think you have them on your sheet. Number one, do not, please do not count on any goodness that you think you might have that might allow you any merit before God to save you. It never will. And that's, that's the word that needs to go out. You need to embrace it. Don't be deceived. How many times Paul says that? Why? Because we're easily tricked and fooled. Don't be deceived in this. 
You were born a sinner, and unless you humbly confess your sin in repentance and receive Jesus Christ as Savior, you will never, never enter into heaven. And as a pastor, I long for every one of the sheep of, of the flock the Lord has given me oversight to be in heaven. I'm going to look around and be counting. Where, 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 where? We had a, we had a, a meeting the other uh, day, and then we, we thought we changed the date on it, and not everybody got the word. Roger, uh, not Roger, uh, Galen, you showed up, and who else? Mike, did you show up? Someone else did. Paul, you guys said, where was everybody? And I go like, you guys thought the rapture happened, didn't you? <laughs> No, we didn't. They <laughs> I got a real somber answer back on that. But uh, you guys are looking. Get the hell. I'm going to be looking for everybody. Every one of you. And, and more. I want, I'm going to be counting them up. Number two, God's Word tells us the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, it's a gift, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Salvation is a gift, one that you can never earn. Receive the gift of eternal life today. Will you do that if you've never done that? I, I urge you today. I don't care if you've been going to church for a thousand years. Maybe you're not saved. Number three, all people everywhere will end up in only one of two places. A bunch of nonsense floating around in our culture. We swim in a very muddy pagan culture. You know that? You don't reincarnate. You don't come back as your little doggy. And you don't become nothing either. Well, that's it. Throw them in a hole. Throw some dirt. No, no, sorry. No. The resurrection proved that, right? The third day, only one of two places. And once you're in one of those two places, you never go, go from one to the other. That's it. Death seals the eternal doom. That's it. No purgatory. No second chance. That's it. That's all. It's not my word. I'm just the delivery guy. I'm delivering the Word of God. I have to give an answer for giving this, this, this stuff straight up and the real deal to you. And that you'll tell others that. There are only one or two. Heaven, the glory of that, and which will be ever glorious and ever learning and ever serving. Believe me, you're not going to be bored. Some of you have the idea, I'm going to be, I guess I'm going to be bored in heaven. No way. Read some of Jonathan Edwards on the glory of heaven. And it will blow your mind in all that we'll be doing as he unfolds that. You either be in heaven. So what will it be for you? Today's the day of salvation. Today. Number four, even after being saved for many years, never forget, don't ever forget the pit that you were dug from. I mean, never forget that. Never forget that. That's uh, Isaiah's old word, never, or Jeremiah, the pit, Isaiah, that you were dug. A sinner saved by grace and nothing more. It's all of grace even as God conforms you and molds you and grows you and matures you. I mean, it's still a precipice, and we still have the flesh, and we can still do some pretty ungodly things. God, help us and deliver us and lead us not into temptation. And number five, and here's the, the point of the whole parable. Remember, God resists the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace, and all oh, we need that. Humble yourself before him, and he will lift you up in due season. Don't think of yourself to be too good to be saved. Jesus warns, and you have been warned, and we need to warn others. Let's do that, shall we? Father, thank you for your wonderful word. Thank you, Lord, so much that heaven is a glorious gift. The price has been paid at the cross.
And the resurrection is our living hope that third day. And I pray, Lord, that we'll be faithful and encouraged to publish the glad tidings of the news of eternal life found in Christ alone. We ask, Lord, that you'd work in hearts and lives, and may we recommit ourselves this morning to living for you. And for those here that may have never trusted you, open their heart even today. Thank you so much. We love you. In Christ's name, amen.